Welcome back to Podcast 27 of 2023. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us at The Osbreakers and follow us on social media slash The Osbreakers. This episode is being brought to you by Betfred Sports. For 250 bucks worth of free bets, please visit Betfred Sports and use the promo code ODDS23. Terms, conditions, and location apply. If you'd like to support The Osbreakers and benefit from our premium place, please visit theosbreakers.com, click shop and become a member. Pick any of our premium cappers and get their plays before the line moves. You can also support us on patreon.com. And if nothing else, please visit the Osbreakers and become a free picks and telegram subscriber. Baseball is rolling, my friends, and we are off to a great start. Actually, all of our baseball cappers are off to a wonderful start here at the Oddsbreakers. I have a couple plays going today, trending over on one of my free plays that I sent out. I'm hoping that it gets there. Uh, San Fran versus the White Sox. Hopefully you got that at the oddsbreakers.com. And we, of course, have our baseball packages that are currently listed at discount for all of our premium cappers. If you'd like to try us for one month, just to make sure you get a return on investment Use the promo code OBFREE for any package $200 or less, any monthly capper $200 or less, and you can give us a try. If you don't like what you're getting, you can cancel within that month absolutely free of charge. Once again, that discount code is OBFREE. Well, we have a great show for you today because I'm going to talk a little UFC 287 at the end of this episode. Now that basketball's over and football, we go into heavy focus on MMA, which I've been very successful and actually having a very successful year, over 10 units so far for 2023. Our monthly subscribers get all of our UFC plays. I'm going to give you one or two of the ones that I made at the end of this podcast. And we are going to have Sig from Wager Talk on to discuss the huge Kentucky Derby prep races for this Saturday. The Wood Memorial, we have the Santa Anita Derby this weekend, and we also have the Bluegrass Stakes at Keeneland. So massive spring coming up with horse racing coming into the Kentucky Derby, and we're also going to talk a little Kentucky Derby with our wonderful guest, Sig. But before that, I'm going to get into our NFL 2023 Pythagorean win totals from 2022 data. Basically, what that means is that we're going to analyze some of these teams and the amount of points that they scored and the amount of points that they have given up adjusted for turnovers to see how many wins that they should have had. And I talked a little bit about this last week as well. You are able to correctly predict next year's wins and losses based upon how these teams should have performed compared to how they actually performed. As a matter of fact, if you just blindly bet these the last three years, you'd be very profitable, not even factoring in strength of schedule, not even factoring change of players 
or preseason injuries, change of coaches, or anything like that, just blindly betting these Pythagorean win totals has been profitable. Do I suggest you blindly bet that? No, I still think you should analyze everything because this could obviously be a year that it doesn't hit. But I'll tell you right now, it's another great way of looking at how these teams should have performed compared to their actual schedule. So let's get right into that and discuss each division, how they performed. Oh, yeah. All right, starting out with the Pythagorean wins, I want to explain a few different things to you. And I'm going to explain some of the differences that we did this year compared to the years before. And I'm going to explain to you how these win totals are calculated. Basically, Pythagoras was a mathematician that discovered a mathematical equation to find the distance between two points of a right triangle, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. So it, when we look at it in, for example, football or other sports, you can kind of relate the fact that they scored this many points, they've given up this many points. This is how many wins they should have actually had using this theorem. It's basically finding the expected value between the relationships of the two sides. Like for example, A would be the amount of points you scored throughout the season and B would be the amount of points you've given up throughout the season. If the amount of points you scored was a lot, the triangle is going to be a lot taller. And if the amount of points that you scored was a little compared to what you've given up, then the triangle is going to be a lot shorter. So we're trying to find out how many wins you should have had. And the square is able to use that by just going through the normal distribution of NFL points. Now, I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, why not just use points for and points against and figure out how many games they should have won? Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And you need an exponent because if we did that, all of everyone's wins would be between 8 and 11 throughout the whole season. So basically, you need an actual exponent that I explain in the article that should be coming out next Monday. And what that exponent actually does is put the amount of points you scored and given up in proper context with relations to how many games you should have won. For years, we were using 2.37 as an exponent, a little bit more than two. And that was from uh, a football outsider's number that we've taken a long time ago. But then Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders decided to use the logarithmic function, 1.5 log points for plus points against divided by the amount of games, which is 17. I believe that that relationship of the exponent is not linear due to the fact that some teams score a lot more points than others. As a matter of fact, the average exponent of 2022 came up to 2.45. The lowest was the Denver Broncos that actually came up to, I believe, 2.36, which is slightly lower than the number 2.37 that we were using over the past few years. Now, is there a massive difference of using 2.45 average than the 2.37? Not really, but I figured that 2023 is the year that I'm going to decide to use the logarithmic way rather than the static way that has been accurate in previous years. 
Another thing that we account for at the odds breakers is turnovers. Turnovers are in general lucky, especially when it comes to fumbles. Um, I know that some turnovers are slightly predictable, meaning great teams with great coaches and great quarterbacks. For example, Aaron Rodgers, you can always predict him being positive on the turnovers. Uh, And then you can predict teams like, for example, the Colts or the Panthers to have negative turnovers just based upon having nobody as a quarterback. That's somewhat predictable. So instead of using the full four points as a turnover, we use half being the partial predictability of it. If you're minus one turnover for the year, you're just going to get a point taken off your offensive total and have a point rewarded for your defense as well. It doesn't make that massive of a difference on your pie fag anyway, but it's a little something extra that I like to do looking at the uh, predictability of turnovers itself. If you want to understand it a little bit better, make sure you read our article that comes out on Monday, uh, April 10th. All right, now that I just bored you to death with that (laughs) explanation, let's get into what's important here. So we're going to start with the NFC North, my favorite team, the Chicago Bears and their division. Well, uh, starting up right up top, this is the biggest discrepancy of them all, the Minnesota Vikings. Actual wins 13, 8.32 Pythagorean wins. Seriously, 13 to 8. Point three two. That's terrible. <laughs> Sorry if you're a Viking fan, but I mean the whole truth came forth for the Vikings. You know when it came to the playoffs, the line was moving towards the Giants, and I was one of those people that bet on the Giants myself. And a lot of sharp people were all over the Giants because we knew that the Vikings were a little bit fraudulent at that massive number. You know the Vikings literally gave up more points than they scored yet won 13 games the vikings were 11 and 1 in one score games and finally it all came to bite them in the playoffs against the giants so with the problem with the vikings they really did not have um a lot of defense this year right their defense was terrible and they had a lot of comeback victories against the bills uh the colts crazy comeback victories and it it was uh just definitely a a a far outlier when it comes to doing pythagorean win totals a difference of negative 4.68 well unfortunately the books know about all of this and that's why their win total is 8.5 this year but to be completely honest it is plus money to go go under that 8.5, and I did make that play, um, not just because of the Pythagorean win totals, but also because of the fact that they're going to have a first-place schedule next year. That means they're play, facing the San Francisco 49ers, they're facing the Philadelphia Eagles, then it's either going to be the Bills, the Chiefs, the Bengals, or the Jaguars, You know, one of those at large. And obviously the teams in the NFC North where we know the Lions are going to be very improved. The Bears are definitely going to be improved. And the Packers without Aaron Rodgers, say what you will, they still have a pretty good coach with Matt LaFleur. So I'm not sure sure the Vikings are going to get up to eight and a half. And I still think that this thing could drop. The next team was really the Detroit Lions. 
nine wins, and it sucked that they didn't make the playoffs. They should have made the playoffs, in my opinion. Uh, unfortunately, you remember that Rams-Seattle debacle game. Their Pythagorean wins were 8.8, very close, only a negative 0.2 difference. Now, that means they still slightly overperformed. Now, if you take it within context, if you only took the last one-third of the Lions' season, their defense did get better, and they're probably finished a better team than they started the first half of the year. But there are some games they, they should have lost. The Bears was probably one of them. Uh, I think the Miami Dolphins was a really interesting game that they had. There is a, a couple games in there they probably should have lost, but at the same time, they're on the top of many people's power ratings, top 10, some even up to six. Some respectable sports bettors out there had them sixth or seventh best team at the end. I disagree a little with that. They gave up too many points, but they still did score more points at uh, 453 and gave up 427. So they are still an above average team, but just not quite to the nine wins via Pythag. Pretty much a wash when it comes to negative point two. Uh, The Green Bay Packers, eight actual wins. Their Pythag was 8.36. Some of their uh, luck, I guess you would say, ran out. They actually had some tough games against, like the Vikings. They had some tough games. They had a first-place schedule last year, if you remember, but they are pretty close to their Pythagorean win total, only a .36 difference. And the Chicago Bears, three actual wins. Pythagorean wins were 5.09. The Bears scored a lot of points, and they lost a lot of games at the very end. Uh, Detroit, Miami, uh, there was a Minnesota game in there towards the end. There's a lot of close games that they lost. They also got blown out <laughs> their fair share as well. But you got to remember with the Bears, you know, this was a team that sold all of their guys uh, at about halfway through the season. But as far as an underachiever, they are number two. Usually you see the last place team being somewhat of an underachiever uh, for different circumstances and things that actually happened throughout the year. They did what was right last year and lost that last game so they could get the number one draft pick. Justin Fields didn't even play the game. Moving to the NFC West, the San Francisco 49ers, 13 actual wins, 12.44 Pythagorean wins, just negative 0.56 of a difference. If you want to say they overachieved, sure, their quarterback play wasn't great in a lot of games until they got Brock Purdy, and they really figured it out at the end. Had that bad luck in the playoffs, obviously, with the injuries, but they were so close. As well as the the Seahawks is funny. I thought there was going to be a bigger difference. Their Pythag wins was 8.55, and their actual wins was 9. So they're you know more of a 50-50 team, and uh, they only had two positive turnovers on the margin this year, and their difference was negative 0.45. The Rams, though, underachievers, five wins when they should have won 6.31. Uh, difference of 1.31, so they slightly underachieved. If you remember, they had all those quarterback woes, but their defense did stand big in a lot of games. And the Arizona Cardinals, four actual wins and 5.9 Pythagorean wins. As you know, Kyler Murray got hurt at the end of the season. Now to the NFC East. You have maybe your second biggest difference with the Philadelphia Eagles, 14 actual wins, 11.45 Pythagorean wins. Now, what I will say about the Eagles is they probably shouldn't have done that well. 
their strength of schedule were very was very easy. You can also say they let off the gas a little bit in the fourth quarter. So is that a great depiction of negative two point five five? Probably not. But I also think that fourteen was probably the real picture of these Eagles team was probably twelve or thirteen, which is still really great. The Cowboys. They had 12 actual wins. Their Pythag was 11.2, so a negative 0.8 difference. The Giants was a pretty big difference at minus 1.34. If you remember, the Giants won a lot of close games. I had to give them 9.5 actual wins based upon the tie that they had. And 8.16 was their Pythagorean wins, okay? So they're the team that tied that you have to put the half a game in for actual wins to do these calculations. The Washington was the other team that they tied with, negative 0.37 difference, 8.5 actual wins to 8.13 Pythagorean wins. The Giants, I'm sorry, the Washington football team commanders still had a very solid defense, just a really bad offense last year. Let's move to the AFC North. You know, the Buffalo Bills, we had to adjust them with the Cincinnati Bengals for that half game, or I, I gave them a half game, gave them each a half game because they both didn't finish a game. Now, was the Bengals winning 7-3? to three? Yes, but you're still, what, in the first quarter there when that thing was canceled? I literally have to take their average amount of points they were scoring and their average against and uh, just add that to the total to get this calculation corrected. Um, so I give the Bills 13.5 wins. When even though it shows 13 because they didn't play that final game, their Pythag was actually still very high at 12.93. The Bills were blowing out a lot of teams in the beginning. Um, they would let some teams back in for sure, but the Bills actually had the highest Pythagorean wins out of any team, even though they slightly overachieved by 0.57. But then you have the Miami Dolphins, nine wins, 8.82 Pythagorean wins. Uh, the Patriots had eight wins. They should have did a little bit better. 0.59 more wins, 8.59. And then the Jets was a also outlier, only having seven wins. They should have won 8.31. They had some serious quarterback woes themselves with the Wilson draft pick. White was okay at times. Uh, I believe Flacco played too. So that was an interesting team that I thought should have made the playoffs, but they barely got to seven wins and hitting their win total, at least the early one. As of last year, I don't know if uh, that thing got to seven and a half, but brutal, brutal loss for you if that was the case. Next, let's move on to the NFC West in the Chiefs. The Chiefs are always sitting here. I, I feel like there's some clutchness, and I talk about that in the article for some of the best quarterbacks out there like Mahomes. Sure, he doesn't like um, win every game, and they've taking their losses and they don't always score a ton of points, but he does enough to win a lot of games. They get a lot of flags in their direction as well. So that helps uh, 14 actual wins to 11.71 uh, Pythagorean wins. They're the third most overachieved team with the amount of Pythag negative 2.29 difference. Do you want to immediately fade the Chiefs? No. I think the books already hang 11 and a half for them anyway. So they, you know, kind of in tune to what the Chiefs actually should have done anyway. But it's also still Patrick Mahomes. And if you got Mahomes and you got Kelsey and you got a halfway decent defense, <laughs> you're a Super Bowl contender, it seems. Uh, the Chargers, they were, were a pretty big discrepancy at negative 1.58. 
So they had 10 wins, but they should have had 8.42 wins. There's a lot of games like the Cleveland game that they should have lost last year, but somehow they ended up getting to 10 wins. And they would just blow some weird games like in the playoffs as well. So it's funny. If you knew these Pythagorean numbers, which were actually out there um, when it came to playoff time, you might have bet the Jaguars anyway. The Jaguars took a massive 27-point comeback to win. But, uh, you know, it, it was showing you that the Chargers were overachieving throughout the season as well. Now, the Raiders were the largest underachieving team. It's funny. Last year, they were the largest overachieving team. Now, they're the largest underachieving team. They should have won 8.32 wins with Derek uh, Carr, right, as their quarterback. But they only won six. It was kind of the same thing last year. They won 10 and should have won like seven point something, if I remember. It was... Uh, Really interesting dichotomy here. They were the most uh, underachieving team this year. And last year, they were the most overachieving team. So interesting that the Raiders should have done better. I think Carr was not that clutch at the end of a lot of games, especially if you remember that Cardinals game. I think it was game two or game three of the year, that massive comeback. Um, And then finally, the Denver Broncos should add 6.36 wins instead of five. That's a 1.36 difference. Moving on to the AFC North, the Bengals, pretty big difference. They 12.5 wins, and you had to give them the half game for that cancellation to 10.88 was their Pythagorean wins. They had a really rough start in the beginning of the season, if you remember. Took a little time for their offensive line to gel. But uh, Joe Burrow was a very clutch player, and they won some one-score games, so they overachieved a little bit by 1.62 games. Uh, The Baltimore Ravens, Ten actual wins. They should have won nine point three two. They had some serious quarterback woes at the end of the season. There, the Ravens were, were interesting team because a lot of people played their over win total, and I and I tell you I, that still somehow got to ten. But in the playoffs, man, they played rough and tough and almost beat the Bengals. Total screw up. A fourteen point swing was the whole reason that the Bengals won that game. If you remember the the fumble at the goal line and the touchdown that happened, that is a, literally a 14-point swing right there. Uh, the Steelers, nine wins to 7.09, so they overachieved by a lot, minus 1.91. The, the Steelers were a weird team last year because you remember they improved throughout the season. You know, at the end when... T.J. Watt kind of came back a third into the year. He got hurt for a couple weeks, a pec muscle that, thank God, didn't take him out. A lot of those torn pecs will take you out for the season. It was a slight tear, I believe. Well, he was a beast, and, you know, Kenny Pickett got better, which is interesting, too, because uh, they got to nine wins, and that's just Mike Tomlin. You know, Mike Tomlin always gets this team over 500. If the win total's eight, you probably want to take the over based on Mike Tomlin, you know, but uh, they massively overachieved just based on coaching. And the Cleveland Browns, seven wins. They should have won eight or 7.99, so a .99 difference. Deshaun Watson was uh, uh, took him a while to gel. If you remember, Brissett was a really good quarterback in the beginning of the season. They were kind of shocking some people, then they kind of came back to earth. Uh, finally, the AFC South, the Jaguars, uh, nine actual wins. The funny thing is they underachieved. They should have had 9.72 wins. And if you remember how the Jaguars were burning a lot of sharp betters money, my money as well, 
<laughs> I was very disappointed that they kept choking away some wins. They should have won. Uh, they sh- they should have choked away that spread against the Eagles. There was a bunch of them in the beginning. Then all of a sudden, they make a big push at the end to make the playoffs and steal the division from the Titans. Uh, the Titans were next. Uh, seven actual wins to 6.82, so almost flat on that one. The Colts were... Uh, a little bit overachieving themselves, or sorry, they were actually underachieving themselves because they only had 4.5 wins. They should have had 5.39 wins. The epic choke against the Vikings. Uh, they choked away a lot of games this year. That's why the, the coach lost his job and Saturday took over. So they actually underachieved by about 0.89 wins. Not like there's going to be good. I mean, 5.4 is not still not good. So when I say underachieved, yeah, take it into context. And then finally, the Houston Texans definitely underachieved. 4.93 wins to 3.5. Uh, and that's a 1.43 difference. They should have had closer to five wins. You know, if you look at the worst team when it comes to Pythagorean wins, it's not even the Bears. It is the Texans, and that's why it's just so mind-blowing how they had to win that last game against the Colts. Well, there you have it, my friends. This is data that you use as part of your analysis when predicting your 2023 season win totals. This is definitely not the end-all, be-all, even though they've been hitting by themselves. You should also take coaching changes, quarterback changes, drafts, free agency gains, free agency losses, strength of schedule, and all the big things we use when calculating your next year's wins. Make sure you factor this in because the market will factor this in as well. See where you can find your edges when it comes to the NFL draft as well as what these teams have done in the off season. Now let's get into a little ponies with our guy, Sig, from Wager Talk. Now I'm very happy to welcome back a longtime horse better and handicapper in Sig from wagertalk.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Sig Las Vegas. Sig, you are back on the show. It's spring. That means it is horse racing season. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Kiev. And for me, it's always horse racing season. But for the rest <laughs> of the public, this is the Derby Trail. This is horse racing season. That's right. Exactly. It's always horse racing season for you. For the odds breakers, we start to talk about horse racing throughout the big Triple Crown events. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how it is. And yeah, yeah, it's great that you have so much success horse racing. And I'm not going to bring anybody on that doesn't specialize in horse racing throughout the whole year. So that's you. And you're the man. And I'm excited to talk some ponies with you, my friend. But, um, you know, we have a lot going on. The last of the prep races are really this weekend in general, right? We have uh, the Bluegrass coming up. We have the Santa Anita, and we have the Wood Memorial. And uh, is there any – I think there's one more prep race after this? Yeah, next Saturday, Keelan runs the Lexington, which is sort of okay. like a consolation bracket. There's 20 points available for the win there. If somebody's teetering on the edge, which I'm going to mention a horse a little later in this broadcast, that is teetering on the edge to get those last points to get into that Derby starting gate. All right, well, there you go. So the Lexington at Keeneland on April 15th. It's funny, you got the Bluegrass and the and the Lexington back-to-back. It's like Keeneland's going to be a very popular track here over the next two weeks. And I'm excited to talk about the Bluegrass with you. But before we get into all that, let's talk a little Derby, my friend. Now, you know, obviously not a lot of noise this year yet. I mean, Forte had a wonderful finish 
in the Florida Derby last week, and I saw him close. I thought he was completely out of it as well, and I watched a few replays this morning. Uh, what do you think about that horse and some of the other odds to win the Kentucky Derby that are out early? Yeah, I mean, right now, to me, Forte looks like the clear cut. Uh, he's going to be your morning line favorite, I think, unless something very strange happens this weekend uh, for the Kentucky Derby. Uh, he's your favorite in the uh, futures betting. Uh, right now, I'm looking circus got him at plus 315, so just a little more than 3-1, to one, which is higher than I think you're going to get on the first Saturday of May if uh, nothing changes here. But he's a top Fletcher Colt. He's out of violence. He won last week's Florida Derby, cementing himself as that most likely favorite here. Uh, he's won five or six career races, including last year's Breeders' Cup Juvenile, which history has said the winner of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile does not do well on the Derby Trail normally. So he's looking to break that tradition here. But there was another horse that ran last week that was pretty impressive as well. That was Angel of Empire. He won the Arkansas Derby at Oakland for trainer Brad Cox with Flavian Pratt aboard. Had a nice big late run and took over that race. So those are the two right now, I think, that, I mean, have – I mean, it's recency bias because that was just last week's race, but they both have looked very strong uh, leading into the derby here. Who had the better speed between them rated? Um, I'm pretty sure Forte did. I don't have the numbers in front of me right here right now, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure Forte ended up just with that big late close. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. So in uh, Angel of Empire right now, I'm looking at a few books, 14 to 1. So uh, a little bit better. Uh, odds than Forte at 3.5 to 1, like you said, 3.15 here at Circa. And so definitely want to look at those kind of coming in. So there's also some other shots on here, like Tappet Trice, who was running this Saturday. He's 8 to 1. Practical Move is 10 to 1. King Barnes, 12 to 1. I don't even know how to say this one. So Derma uh, Sadaki, <laughs> he's uh, oh, the Japanese horse. Yeah, yeah. Is is this one of those UAE Derby ones? Um, I, he's like twelve to one as well, and Angel Empire fourteen to one. So uh, first of all, are the, are all these horses already qualified in, or are some of them possibly not even going to make it? Yeah, no. All those horses that you uh, just mentioned there already have their way earned into the Derby. Uh, there's a Japanese. Uh, the path of the Derby now and a European path. So they each have one horse that qualifies that may or may not make the trip. It sounds like the Japanese horse is going to make the trip. I haven't heard anything about the European uh, horse right now, though. Uh, so they both have spots in there if they want those spots. But like Forte, Angel of Empire, Two Fills, uh, Kings Barn, all definitely have their spots in there. To me, if you have 50 points right now on the road to the Kentucky Derby, you had that spot in the starting gate if you want. But there's a lot of horses on the outside looking in or that's sort of in that 40 to 50-point range, 30 to 50-point range that need a good race this weekend to earn their spot. Well, let's kind of just take a look at some of these. Um, obviously, Forte, like I said, 3.5 to 1 here, and, and that could hold up. So I'm curious, like, do you – if you're really like a, a, a horizontal better, you're going to take Forte win play show. Maybe maybe you just take him now and and forget about it. But besides him, is there any like uh, any other horses there sticking out to you? Like maybe the thirty three to ones or twenty to ones. Um, I, yeah, I think one of the horses I think with longer odds that uh, is attractive to me. I think on Derby Day is going to be two fills. Uh, he's won he won the Jeff uh, Ruby Stakes at Turfway a couple weeks ago. But he had good showings at two uh, prep races at the fairgrounds in the Lecompte and in the Risen Star. And he's, he's one of these horses that has a big late closing kick. 
that could take over uh, late in the Derby, like we saw last year with a little horse today in Rich Strike that still sort of burns me a little bit. <laughs> Rich Strike, well, there you go. <laughs> to bring that one up, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Two Phils, who's his trainer? Uh, Two Phils is with... Um, Sorry to put you on the spot here. Sometimes, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here questioning, like, like I'm asking you questions that I didn't even prep you for. So I do, I do apologize. But um, you know, I mean, obviously the Derby's a, a long time away right now, so uh, there's plenty of time to look into all this. And obviously, we got to keep focused. So I, I just was curious on who who hit, might hit be his trainer. Okay, I apologize. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me. I can't think about it off of my head right now. No worries. Let's move on to a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. And it sounds like you kind of studied up on the Bluegrass States a little bit. Um, what can you tell us about this race coming up this weekend at Keeneland? Well, Keeneland's my favorite track in the world, and this Keeneland Spring Meet is my favorite time of the year. It's only 15 racing days but it's a beautiful part of the country. It's the most gorgeous track I've been to. A lot of people argue with you, Santa Anita's better uh, with the mountains and so forth, but there's something about being in the heart of where they breed the horses and bring them up that uh, just something magical about Keeneland. But there are 22 horses that have won the Bluegrass Stakes that have gone on to win the Kentucky Derby. With that said, though, the last time that happened was 1991 with a horse named Strike Gold. Uh, there are five trainers that have won the Bluegrass three times, including Todd Fletcher, who has tomorrow, or Saturday's favorite, uh, morning line favorite with Tappet Trice. So he may take the lead there if Tappet Trice is able to uh, put on a nice show. Okay. All right. There you go, Tappet Trice. And he was like uh, one of the favorite ones kind of coming in here. So uh, I, what do you like so much about Keeneland now that you mention it? Um, I mean, they just respect the game so much. I mean, you go there, everybody's dressed up to the nines. Um, just it, It's hard to describe. I mean, it's sort of one of those things you have to experience. But it just – and I hear this. I had never been to Saratoga. I know, sacrilege. I hear the same thing about Saratoga. But it just seems like – I mean, it's an event. I mean, this is Lexington, Kentucky. It's an hour from Louisville where Churchill's at. And it's about an hour and a half from Cincinnati. It just seems like people converge on Lexington for this time of year. And it's it's an event. It's it's what matters to this part of the world for those two, three weeks. Okay, well, definitely with the two big races coming up. And Larry Ravelli is the trainer for two films Thank you. that I just uh, looked up here. He's, he doesn't stick out like Pletcher or Baffert or Cox, but, you know, he's been there for a while, right? He's not a huge name out there, but I mean, he's a he's a trainer. I definitely take a look at when I see his name in the program. <laughs> nice. So, how how long is this race? And if you mentioned it, sorry, when I was looking up two fills. Yeah, they're going to mile and eighth here okay. uh, at Keelan over the dirt surface. And if you, if you guys watched the Breeders' Cup last fall, uh, that's where uh, they held the Breeders' Cup was Keelan. Uh, they had the track usually in a really great shape and should be in fantastic shape. Definitely the turf course here uh, for the next fifteen days of the meet. All right, well, there you go. And like you said, 5-2 to two is what Tappet Trice is going off as. Do you think the uh, Saez looks like it's going to be the Jackie, obviously, with Pletcher here? So uh, you think this these odds stick, or you think these go down even? I think we're going to go down a little bit more there. I mean, I see the th th top three there on the morning line are verifying uh, Tappet Trice and um, – <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry, I lost my place. <laughs> Oh, no, no, you said that morning line is three to one. Uh, 
Blazing Sevens, the uh, Chad Brown horse, should be your top three there, I think, in the betting interest. So Blazing Sevens is actually 6-1. to one. He came off a bad race uh, in the Fountain of Youth at Gulfstream last month. So I think you're going to get a little bit of value with that one. With Erad Ortiz as the jockey, looks like Correct. projected for this one. Okay. So we have our PPs here. Uh, Tapa Trice is in against the rail is that a good position to be in this race or is that a bad position to be in that is not the best position i read an interview with pletcher he wasn't real happy with the draw there but i mean you just have to deal with it uh tap trace put himself in a lot of trouble in the uh, tampa bay derby with a very poor start he ended up finishing or starting ninth out of the 12 horse field that day and even at the top of the stretch he was in eighth place si has mounted a huge rally out of him uh, that got him up there for the win over a classic car wash coming on the stretch. But, I mean, he used all of his horse that day. Okay, well, there you go. So not a great position. So I'm guessing you might try to play a little bit against him. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that part. But I, I, this field that I pulled up here, is this a strong field or is it really chalk heavy? Um, I would not call this chalk heavy. Um, in general, I mean, so like I said earlier, it's hard to grade the strength of this three-year-old field right now. Uh, I think it's a pretty competitive field. Uh, the three big guys, Fletcher, Chad Brown, uh, Brad Cox, all have one entry in this field here. Uh, but there are a few horses in the field, I feel, have the potential to take a step forward here. Uh, the thing about the road to the Kentucky Derby is there's so many ways to earn your way into the starting gate, and so many trainers will ship their horses so they don't face each other. You see it a lot with Fletcher. You see it a lot with Baffert. Uh, Cox has so many entries, too, that they're – I think he has two or three in the wood going up to New York this weekend and only shipping one to Keeneland, which is basically an hour away from where he trains in Louisville. So uh, Fletcher already has Kings Barn, who won the Louisiana Derby two weeks ago in there. Uh, he's got Forte, who won the Florida Derby last week in there. And if Tapa Trace gets his way in there for the, via the Bluegrass, he's already got three of the top horses in that field. Wow. Wow. That would be a stacked field for Pletcher here coming in. So I find that very interesting. Okay, well, without giving up too much information on your card, obviously, how are you going to attack this race? Uh, basically, my plan right now is here. I don't like playing chalk, and I'm sure you're aware of that here. But Tapa Trace looks very strong against this field. Uh, the biggest challengers, like I mentioned, are going to be verifying and blazing sevens from uh, the Cox and the Brown Bards here. And my top four that I've landed on so far, this is like could change by Saturday, but right now I'm on the one Tapa Trace, eight blazing sevens, three verifying, and the four classic car wash, who's 12 to 1 in there. Uh, there's a number of horses that I'm going to use underneath. Like I may look at an exacta play in the one over the three, four, eight, but then if I do a trifectas or a place of trifectas, uh, looking to use the one with the uh, three, four, and eight, maybe in that second spot. But in that third spot there, uh, there's some horses like uh, six, Scooby Quando, uh, seven, Sun Thunder, ten, Ray's Cane. And one that I find kind of an enigma is the 11, Mendelssohn's March, who has only had two races to his career, uh, basically both this year. Hasn't raised the greatest stakes, hasn't raised any other derby preps, went made into allowance to right into the grade one bluegrass here. So he's a horse I'm going to use a little bit lightly, more lightly on some of my tickets, but I think he's more of a wild card. Okay, so uh, so those four and uh, your wild card was which one again? I was uh, The wild card are those, uh, the ones that I'm going to use underneath, uh, Mendelssohn's March. Is the one I think is okay. more of a wild okay. car. Number 11. He's yes. 20 to 1. Okay. 20 to 1 with that one. Okay. Nope. Nope. Thank you for that. So when you said that, I I, I missed that part. So good stuff there. 
And make sure you guys follow Sig at Sig Las Vegas. Get his plays at wagertalk.com. Good stuff for Keeneland. Let's move on a little bit to the Santa Anita Derby here. Now, the funny thing about Santa Anita Derby is that, you know, that Pletcher going to be there, maybe, but I, I'm guessing Tim Yakteen's going to be there. And is how are these horses going to work for the Derby? Because as we know, Pletcher's still banned there this year. Baffert's banned there. Fletcher's okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Keep saying <laughs> Baffert. Bob Baffert is still banned there. Sorry, Pletcher. I, I totally disrespect you, Kentucky still. Uh, but he amazingly was able to transfer some horses to former assistant Tim Yakteen, who uh, actually Yakteen has one of his own in here in uh, Practical Move, who is your morning line favorite. But he's also now listed as the trainer on National Treasure, who's three to one in your morning line. Uh, it was a former Baffert, Baffert trained horse. And as far as I can tell, Baffert's still doing all the training here. Yakteen is the trainer in name only to garner him 30 points to get him a spot in that uh, Kentucky Derby starting field in here. Uh, but there is another horse in here that I'm very interested in. Uh, well, practical move. Let's tech, touch on practical move real quick here. Uh, he won the San Felipe here last month at Santa Anita. Uh, he's got a, a nice, strong pedigree in there, and he looks like a good horse out of practical joke. Uh, the horse that I'm most interested in in that field, though, is a horse called Go Rocket Ride for trainer Richard Mandela. He's only making his third career start. He broke his bait in impressively just this past January, and then he ran second to Practical Move, who he's going to see here again in that San Felipe in San Anita last month. Uh, I'm looking for him to take another step forward for a veteran trainer in Mandela, uh, who had a pretty lightly raced horse named Flightline, who won last year's Breeders' Cup Classic and has been retired to stud. Uh, so I think uh, Mandela might have something magical there. Wouldn't go rocket ride. Uh, unfortunately, you're only getting three to one in the morning line there. I think he's going to take money. Sanita, the top, the favorites here are going to take money. Uh, the five, the six, and the three, I think, are going to see the most uh, action at Sanita here. So I don't know if you're going to get a whole lot of value there. But if you think you can upset the uh, practical move, the two Yakteen and the National Treasure, I think go rocket rides where you want to go. Well, you, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny. The National Treasure is three to one. Go Rocket Ride, spell LSU style, G A U X. Go Rocket Wild, like Go Tigers, and right. yeah, and three to one. So yeah, unfortunately, very chalky here too. Then and so, um, I mean, it looks like these favorites are pretty big favorites because you see some of these others at fifty to one. Dan Desmil Sil, Silver, or however you say that name, one in a vermilion, fifteen to one. Uh, low expectations is 30 to one. I, I guess he has low expectations. That, that fits his name. <laughs> he does have low expectations, but you have to remember Baffert dominates these two year old and three year old races at Santa Anita. So you don't find a whole lot of trainers that bring up a lot of horses based on, Hey, we're going to make a, take a, make a path to go to the Kentucky Derby just because of the domination Baffert has in Southern California. All right. No, good stuff. You know, it's uh, what's interesting is I'm not seeing a lot of futures on national treasure, or a uh, practical move? Is it because of the Baffert ban or these horses just not yet qualified? Why are the reasons? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you didn't, you didn't see a whole lot of uh, the futures because I think a horse like National Treasure doesn't actually actually have any derby points right now. Yeah. He's probably going to need a first or a second place finish in the San Diego Derby to secure those points here. Um, practical move, though, I did see here at Circa. It's like I'm at uh, 10 to 1 right now. Ah, you're right. So practical move is, but the other one. Yeah, Yakteen had practical move for his entire career so far. So he's actually his trainee, whereas National Treasure is just sort of a paper trainer. Yeah, yeah, and Go Rocket Rides in there at 25 to 1, too. 
So right. that's interesting. I mean, you you gave us two fills for the Kentucky Derby, but I wonder if Gold Rocket Ride has a little life in him. So is he a closer, or do we know about him yet? Uh, he's basically, I mean, he hasn't really demonstrated either style yet. He's sort of just sort of stayed on the pace and ran with the leaders here. So whether he has that big closing kick yet or not, we'll, I think we're going to find out a lot more about him on Saturday. But that 25 to 1, uh, let's see, that's actually better than the 17 to 1 circus got him at right now. Uh, might not be a bad if you want to speculate a little bit on a horse. That could be a horse that could surprise if he has a big Saturday. Yeah, there Those you odds go. will definitely drop. Well, I, if you're going to bet him this Saturday, you might as well bet him for Kentucky at 25 to 1. Exactly. Because, because it makes no sense not to because you're not going to get those good odds if he wins it. So that would be uh, definitely my thoughts coming into here. And since I'm not in midseason form yet, moving on to the Wood Memorial, we can finally get way of Bob Baffert, and I can start using it right. Pletcher, the good guy coming up here, has three horses in the Wood Memorial. I mean, geez, this guy could be stacked in the Kentucky Derby there, Sig. He could. I mean, definitely. I mean, he's already got two in the starting gate already at uh, Kings Barnes and Forte. It looks like Tappet Thrice is going to have a, definitely a spot in there, too. And if one of these three horses in this Wood Memorial field, uh, he has a Dreamlike at 7-2. to two. He has Kruppi at 12-1. to one. And he's got the classic catch at 10 to 1 in this field. Uh, if one of those can win the wood here, they can definitely get themselves a spot in the gate as well. Fletcher could have four or five horses in that Derby starting gate that first Saturday of May, which kind of uh, puts the odds in his favor. Yeah, I would say it would be Fletcher versus the field. I'm sure you're going to see some odds <laughs> and some books for that here. But, you know, Wood Memorial coming up at Aqueduct in New York. So uh, any thoughts on this one kind of coming up? Is this going to be as chalky as the other two? Uh, we know what, uh, Kiev. I did a quick handicap on this one this morning, and I did. I landed on the favorites, unfortunately, here. Um, I think the 13-hit show for Brad Cox and uh, Manny Franco is uh, the horse probably to beat in this field here. Uh, the Pletcher Dreamlike uh, is on the inside. Again, Pletcher draws the rail with one of his horses. Pletcher, he has Jose Ortiz aboard. For the ride here, those two look like as long as Ortiz can get a good start in this race, they the two look like the two will be battling uh, down the stretch here. Now, something to consider though: the Wood Memorial uh, hasn't produced a Kentucky Derby winner since 2000, and that was with, oh, I always pronounce this wrong, Fusaichi Pegasus. Uh, yes, yes. But last year's winner, Mo Donegal, uh, went on to win the Belmont Stakes, and last year's runner-up, Early Voting, won to win the Preakness. So, I mean, the Wood Memorial was. Definitely a key race last year in the road to uh, for the Triple Crown. Interesting, yeah. Just couldn't get that Kentucky Derby win since 2000, Pegasus, but definitely made some noise in the Preakness and in the Belmont, it sounds. So that's that's interesting. So we landed on some chalk, but that's okay because what you are doing this weekend is you are concentrating on one track, and that's Keeneland, correct? That is correct. I'll be at Keeneland for the next 15 days starting tomorrow. All right. Well, that's awesome. Where could our listeners benefit from your plays at Keeneland this weekend? I will go on over to wagertalk.com. I'll have coverage of uh, every day of the Keeneland meet. They race uh, Friday and Saturday this week, and then they take Easter Sunday off. They'll be Wednesday through Sunday the following two weeks, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they close out the meet that last week of April before Churchill takes over here. Uh, I have daily coverage uh, for full card selections, and uh, tickets, suggested tickets for exactus, trifectas, daily doubles, pick three, pick four, pick five plays, as well as Keelan's got a special $3 all-turf pick three that runs almost every day of the card, which has produced some very nice returns. 
Uh, it's all turf racing, which is I think it's a little tougher than dirt racing. The handicap here. And if you guys hurry right now, Wager Talks running a special just through this Saturday. You can get my entire Keeneland meet for just $75. That's only $5 a card. Uh, the normal daily price is $9 for each day for the racing card. Oh, that's a deal. That is great stuff. And Sig, you're the best. Make sure you guys check out Sig at Wager Talk. Sig, thank you so much for coming on, giving us some Kentucky Derby information as well as all these great races. Uh, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, Kev. A huge thanks to Sig for coming on, breaking down some ponies. Now let's pivot over to UFC 287 with Alex Pereira versus Israel Adesanya. And man, is he trying to get his belt back? And we might as well just start right here. I'm going to give you a couple plays that I made. I played Alex Pereira. I believe it was at plus 180 or plus 200 when he took the title from Izzy and the reason I played him is because he fought Izzy before before the UFC he won and his style is the only thing to beat Izzy uh coming into uh you know that that main fight he's a big man 6'4 he's the same height as Izzy a little stronger about the same reach 79 inch reach Izzy's got 80 inch reach 35 years old to 33 both in the twilight of their primes, let's just say. But, you know, Alex is a kickboxer, and that's the worst thing for Adesanya. That and just a great wrestler, I guess, which I guess you did see that with Jan Blakovich when Izzy tried to step up to 205, but he went back down, and he ended up beating some guys like Marvin Vittori, um, you know, which is looked at as one of the better wrestlers in this weight class, in the middleweight weight class. So, I mean, the thing for me, is that you've got the champion now, and he's once again a dog. I do not like that. I don't like that for Israel Adesanya. And you saw this just happen recently with Kamaru Usman versus Edwards. Edwards beat him again. You know, It was a very close fight, but still, it's almost disrespectful to make the champion a dog, especially when the champion knows how to beat. Now, there's a lot of people saying that Adesanya has worked on his wrestling. Well, that would be kind of a first for him if he could wrestle because my thoughts during the fight is Izzy was winning until the fifth round and then Izzy kind of had him in some spots where he was on his back and Alex couldn't move. I thought if Izzy could have stalled that fight by a little bit of grappling while they're tired, he could have won. But now... I still wouldn't call Izzy a, a wrestler. And if he does that, he can get himself into some serious trouble coming into a fight with Alex that is a pure kickboxer. He can get need. You know, I, I don't know if Izzy knows what to do. Now, if you can hold Pereira against the ropes, I guess that's one way of trying to win. But now that the title is flipped, it's going to take a lot of these, or I should say a lot for these judges to flip the script here and give the belt back to Izzy, you know? I think Pereira is better, a better stand-up fighter. And, and what sucks is that Pereira would get beat by a wrestler a lot quicker than Adesanya. It's just that Pereira has the style that it takes to beat Adesanya. So it's just one of those situations like we compare greats. It's like Adesanya is probably a, a greater fighter, as at least all time right now, in the middleweight division, the 185 pounds, but Adesanya 
has his crutch against a perfectly sized Alex Pereira via kickboxing, yet Adesanya would be able to beat Marvin Vittori if Marvin Vittori was against Pereira. I'd be all over Vittori. You know, you see the kind of the difference there. So it's just that just because Pereira can size up against Adesanya doesn't mean he can for the wrestlers. I want Pereira to win this fight so I can fade him in the future. But I think he does. And you're getting plus money on him, plus 115-ish. I made a small play on Alex Pereira. I might try to get cute in the fourth round or something like that too. I don't know. But um, right now, the, uh, the play is on Alex Pereira for at least one star. Well, I've been with the best. And I beat the best. I've retired more men than Social Security. <laughs> you know, this fight card is really loaded, though. Gilbert Burns, a man that almost beat Israel Desanya, another wrestler that if Burns fights Pereira, I'll be all over Burns. He's fighting Jorge Mastival, and that's going to be a wonderful fight. But unfortunately, Burns is minus 500. It says that Burns should be able to wrestle the hell out of Jorge Mastival, right, and win. But one thing that I know about this is... I cannot take Burns when he should be minus 250, minus 300 instead of minus 500. Can't put him in parlays. Masvidal is an amazing stand-up fighter. There is a path to victory, a possible knockout, but it's very unlikely, I guess. At least over 75% unlikely. So I think that Masvidal will understand that he's fighting a guy that can wrestle, right? Looking at the UFC stats... Uh, you know, Burns can do both, really. He's an amazing grappler. He's a BJJ black belt, but Mastival has fought these type of guys before. And another thing about Mastival, he's from Florida, Miami, Florida. And this fight is in Florida. So I think that gives him a little bit more stamina and motivation to hang for a while. There's a lot of people thinking that Burns should be able to take care of him. Inside the distance, the way he treated Neil Mangi, but I I don't think so. I mean, Burns went to decision four times before that versus Chimaev, versus Steven Thompson, versus Usman. Obviously, great fighters, of course. Actually, no, sorry. Usman, he did get knocked out, but it was in the third. He lost that one against Tyron Woodley. He went five rounds, you know? So it's not like he's completely taking people out. Gunnar Nelson, he went three rounds back in 2019. So... the there's plenty of times that Burns has went to this, the distance. And Mastival, out of his 35 wins, he went to decision 17 times, which is half. And his losses, 16 of them, 12 of them were decision. Only four of them were inside the distance. I know one was recent against Usman. A little shocking to see him get knocked out. Probably didn't expect it, but he took Covington five rounds. Usman five rounds. This is a three-round fight. You know, this is not for a title. I just do not understand why everyone's thinking that this is going to go on uh, under the two and a half rounds or not go to decision. So it's actually plus money that this goes decision. And it's at plus 125. That's where I'm taking my shot here. I think this goes the distance at plus 125. The guy, the dog fighting in his home state, take it that this fight goes to decision for 1.5 stars at plus 125. Kill. I reckon you know a lot about cyberspace. You, you ever come across anything like time travel? <laughs> so Rob Font is the next fight versus Adrian Yanez. I have a premium play on this one. You know, 
a lot of people on Rob Font here that his punches are like mosquito bites, in my opinion. Now, Yanez, a guy that sometimes gets in a lot of trouble, he absorbs a lot of punches. So it's going to be up to him to see if he can corner Rob Font. I think this is going to be a very interesting fight. Uh, you got Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Kevin Holland. This is a wonderful fight as well. Uh, Ponzinibbio is plus 210. So big dog against Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland has fought in some of the best in his division. I have a premium play on this one. I, I think this Paul uh, Raul Rosas fight is so interesting against Christian Rodriguez because Rosas is like UFC's next kid coming up. Dude's only 18. He just turned 18. I mean, is he out of high school right now? I'm not even sure. And he's in the UFC fighting a, a, a pretty good Christian Rodriguez at 8-1. And, and Rosas is at minus 230 here. Um, I can't take the 18-year-old at minus 230. The dude's not even developed yet. And, and Christian Rodriguez, what is he, 25, 26 years old? I'm, I have a strong lean to Rodriguez here, but I will say that I just watched Raul fight a little bit, and he's kicked the crap out of his opponents. So I, I find that interesting. I, you can give the uh, experience advantage for sure to Christian Rodriguez. I, I might find myself uh, being a little bit of a player on Christian Rodriguez if this price keeps uh, getting out of hand here. And finally, uh, going to give you a play on the last prelim fight, uh, Chris Curtis versus Kevin Gastelum. Now, Kevin Gastelum, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, was a dog coming in and a bunch of sharper money came in on gasoline at minus 135 but i do not understand the the money coming in now i know gasoline is more of a a well-rounded fighter than curtis uh funny thing about curtis is he does have uh wrestling in his background that's for sure but curtis has fought a lot of wrestlers you know he's fought rodolfo Vieira. you know he's fought brendan allen he's beaten him phil hawes he lost to the Joker, Jack Hermanson, uh, in July last year. I was actually on him and lost. I felt stupid because Jack Hermanson played the perfect fight game against Chris Curtis. He's Hermanson's tall and, and he's long. He leg kicked and ran away the whole fight. That's the way to do that. But that's not Gastelum's style. You know, Gastelum's going to get in there and uh, get a little dirty with Curtis there. And Gastelum is on a nasty losing streak, losing five of his last six fights. Um, <laughs> you know, Castellum has got a ton of heart. You know, he lasts. You know, he lasted against Conanier five rounds. He got his ass kicked. Last against Robert Whitaker, five rounds. Last against Jack Hermanson. Oh, no, he no, actually, Hermanson uh, took him in a heel hook. And Chris Curtis, I don't think, is going to be doing many heel hooks. Chris Curtis, 17 KOs, one submission, 12 decisions. But Chris Curtis does not get taken down. And he throws a ton of shots. You know, that's kind of what I'm looking at here. If I'm looking at significant strikes, uh, Chris Curtis, 5.82 to Gastelum, 3.56. I'm going to get more volume with Curtis. 56% accuracy, only 41% with Gastelum. Gastelum's going to shoot against him. But Chris Curtis's takedown defense is 100%. That is massive, you know, especially with all the guys that Curtis has fought against. You know, Gaslam's going to have to try to hold him against the uh, cage if he has any chance of winning this thing. I think getting Curtis now as plus money is 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 a great call in this situation here. I don't like Gaslam at all. 
Uh, I'm going to take Chris Curtis here with plus money as a dog at plus 115, and I think he gets through this fight and possibly even wins with a knockout. You're going to need a bigger boat. All right, my friends, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you have any questions for us or comments you want made on the next show, please tweet us at theozbreakers.com. Email us at info at theozbreakers.com. Enjoy all the fights this weekend. Enjoy the Masters. Enjoy all the games, the horse racing, and go get some winners.